0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hear Me See Me podcast is sponsored by Zenoti, the number one cloud software for salons and spas. Because when people feel good, they find their greatness. I am Stuart Roberts. And I'm really excited to introduce my new podcast, Hear Me, See Me. It's Just over five years ago, I did something that changed my life. What it did, more than I could have ever realised, it helped me. I have met some absolutely amazing people. Some of the people that work in some of these places. Many of them are volunteers but some of them it is their job i'd had this idea after being inspired by a guy in america i'd seen cutting hair on the streets and seeing the difference it made to the guys who were there this is more than a job this is a calling hello this is stuart from hear me see me podcast and today i've got a very special young lady um She's got an amazing, inspirational story. Uh, I know it. I know because it comes from one of my previous guests, Jodie Keegan, who Keegan's who introduced us. So um, I'm going to let her get straight into it today. I'm talking to Georgia Gabriel Hooper. (laughs) I nearly forgot it. (laughs) I'm terrible with names. I (laughs) practised, didn't I, as well? Yeah, I
1: am, I am so used to people saying it wrong It's, it's just become a thing now um, I don't even correct them half the time I just let them go with it um,
0: I get called Steve all the time So don't worry about it <laughs> <laughs> so, how are you Georgia?
1: I'm not too bad, thank you. Um, I've been, I'm very busy with college work and and work itself at the minute. So um, you know, it's night. Nice, it's a welcome break to be doing something like this. Um, I I love, I love being able to share my story um, and hopefully helping people. So it really is a privilege to have been asked to come and do this. So thank you very much.
0: Well, I I, I it's my absolutely my pleasure. So what I'll do um, because and I purposely I said to you, I've not I've not gone really into your story because I want to hear it for the first time so you know uh start at the beginning
1: right um <laughs> the very beginning yeah um, so wait, I, when I was when I was born uh, my mum was already in you know Um, And a bad relationship. Um, My dad was a gambler, alcoholic. um, You know, he he wasn't particularly faithful either. Um, And their relationship was already collapsing, um, especially with his with his gambling, because he was not getting the returns that he, um, you know, was putting it, putting out. Um, So they ended up getting divorced when I was two. and um he basically left my mum with absolutely no money um she was in severe debt for for quite a large part of my life um and you know it really did have effects on her um he was never particularly um a brilliant dad he he never has been a brilliant dad um he was around in my life for for a significant period of time um you know he would, he would have me for certain weekends, but a lot of that, um, you know, we did have to go through CAFCAS, um, which, you know, a lot of people who, um, sort of follow me on Twitter or know my story. Um, you know, a lot of those are are, are family court mums or people who are, are interested in the family courts because, you know, I've had my own experiences with that. Um, they did award my dad contact with me. Um, and you know, there were several accusations put out against my mum. Um, just, 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 thrown around really um you know he was awarded contact um and he we had to go to a, a you know a contact center for a period of time um and then he was allowed to have me on his own um afterwards um you know he 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 still had well he still does now you know have a lot of alcohol problems um you know and that was present even when I was little um I never wanted to stay over at his house at the weekend or you know whenever I saw him because I, I didn't I wasn't comfortable in that environment. It just wasn't my type of environment. Um, you know, him him and his family smoked in the house. So obviously, as you can imagine, my mum always used to complain because I'd come home absolutely stinking of cigarettes, um, you know, and... It just wasn't particularly, I enjoyed going for the day, um, you know, but, he, so, you know, a lot of the time he wouldn't show up either. So it, it was kind of when I did see him, um, you know, we, we did make the most of it and it was OK um, for a period of time. And then, you know, as, as time went on, it, it sort of got progressively worse and our relationship really broke down. Um, I'm I, I'm not entirely sure why. Um I think possibly it, it probably has something to do with um, his new partner. Um, I don't think she particularly wanted me around. Um, but, you know, I, that's only speculation. I, I can't say for certain. Um, so when I was uh, probably around three-ish, um, my mum had met someone new. Um, he'd moved down to us um, from from up north um and my mum had had her own house at this point and he said oh, I'm not moving in with you into that house you, you know you must sell your house and um you know come and move into another house with me and so they they did they bought a house together um I think my mum realized that was a massive mistake very early on um because you know that that was financial abuse straight off because he had her tied down to the house um you know if he'd have moved into my mum's house, she would have been in full control of that situation, um, and in the house and the home, and we were still we would still be sort of um, you know have some roots down and have have some um, assets really. Um, whereas with this house, if if she wanted to leave or if anything went wrong, um, you know they'd have to sell the property, um, and you know she was she was tied down with that. Um, That very quickly, that relationship very quickly turned uh, quite physical, Um, not towards my mum, but towards myself. Um, So I was quite often getting dragged up the stairs, thrown in my room, hit you know all those kind of things Um, and a lot of the time my mum would just stand and watch and for me that I really was confused for a very long time because I was so young I was incredibly confused as to why my mum was just standing and watching um, and and not intervening Um, but you know I I learned as the years went by I learned that it was actually because she she was protecting me more by not stepping in um, and protecting herself because she potentially would have got hurt too um but the less that she reacted to it the less he would do it um because he figured that you know he was using me as a weapon against my mum really um and he knew obviously you know mothers their children are so precious to them and you know well fathers if they if they're good fathers you know their their children are very precious to them but um you know it, as a maternal thing they tend you know the bond is just unbreakable especially for myself and my mum um you know having the hardship that we'd already been through at this point um and my dad not being a, a sort of um big uh, figure in my life um so you know that would really hurt her seeing me you know, being hit and, and whatever. But she couldn't do anything about it because he was he was an incredibly strong man. And there was no way she could have fought him off if she wanted to. Um and it would have just made it worse because if she reacted, he'd have gone, Ah, I found I found something that works now. I found you know I know this this hurts her. And he'll he'd do it more and more and more. So the less she reacted the better. Um we did move out for a period of time. Um, I mean, fortunately, my nan and granddad, my mum's parents, lived literally on the next estate. Um, so anytime we needed them, they were able to come round and, and help with the situation. Um, I think we lived with them for, for sort of around 10 months-ish um, before we sort of, you know, respite period, before we did go back. Um, the only reason we went back was because, um, well, we needed to sell the house. Um, this was after a few years of being together too. This was This was, you know when the relationship was really starting to break down um we needed to go back so that the house could be sold and you know it, it was unfair putting so much pressure on my nan and granddad living with them for such a, a long period of time um so we did go back and when we went back um we he was sleeping it was a five-bedroom house it was incredibly large um he was sleeping in the one bedroom the one side of the house um and myself, my mum, was sleeping in the master bedroom because my mum didn't feel it was safe enough for me to sleep in my own bed. Um, so I had to sleep in, in the master bedroom with her. Um, and we had three bolts fitted to the door. Uh, we had one at the top, one in the middle, one on the bottom, stopping him getting in. Now, for me, it's it's taken... It's only really been the, the last few years that I've gone, whoa, that was really not normal. That was really bad that we had to do that. For For me back then, that was just that didn't really mean anything that wasn't significant that was just it was a good thing really because it meant that we were protected it it didn't ever feel like oh wow that's really not normal nobody nobody should ever have to live with locks on their door Um, you know so it's only been the last few years I've processed that and gone wow that that was a really dangerous situation to be in and I mean I, I was young as well I was probably only about four five at this time four five six at this time Um, you know so my memory is sort of um, very, you know, it's faded around that situation. There's only little bits that I remember, and um, there was a significant sort of incident. Um, I think it was it was after we'd had the locks, um, and he he'd come up to the door. It was quite late at night. Um, and, and he knocked on the door and my mum had opened it, to speak to him, um, you know, because she wasn't just completely shutting him out. You know, she would sort of communicate with him. Um, so they they were talking sort of OK, reasonably well. Um then my mum tried to shut the door and he put his foot in the door <clears throat> so that she couldn't shut it.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, I think from what I can remember, he then grabbed her by the by the collar. She had a, a dressing gown on. Um, he grabbed her by the collar and started shouting at her. And, um, you know, I, you know, being, so I was quite proactive in situations like that. Um, as, as you'll find out later on in my story as well. So, um, I, I just grabbed the landline straight off the, the thing and, uh, I called my nan and granddad straight away and I said to them, I said, you've got to get here, you know, um, this, this is break, you know, this is going to blow up in a minute. And fortunately my nan and granddad did come. I mean, there were several, several times they had to come over, um, late into the night, um, so yeah it was it was a, it was a confusing period of time for for myself and and like i said i re- a lot of the behaviors that i learned back then um i've only sort of um unlearned you could say the last um the last couple of years um sort of from from my teens onwards i've sort of processed those and learnt that those aren't aren't okay really um you know because of those behaviors I was quite an angry child um at school I wasn't particularly angry or upset I was you know I I uh, helped to um teach a training course for the local schools in my area for domestic abuse yeah. and um you know a, a, We've done five sessions now, I think, and nearly every session there's been someone on it I've known. Um, and one of those uh, sessions, my year one teacher was on there. So obviously, I was living in this situation at the time I was in her class. And, um, you know, she listened to me tell my story and she was absolutely blown away. She, she just had no idea that that was happening. And, you know, I was a student in her class, and that's absolutely you know, that's nothing. That's no fault of hers. You know, that just goes to show how well it is hidden and it is the people you don't expect. You know, she she said afterwards, she said, you know, I always turned up to school with my uniform, pristine, very clean. I was always happy. Um, most of the time I always got on with my work. I did. I did end up leaving that school. um at the end of year two because I was really struggling to to focus with work but at that period of time in year one um I was doing really well I'd, I'd been bumped up year you know a year um pretty much since i had been at the school I was in top 10 and we got pushed up um you know so I was doing really well and she always said she said as well my mum always showed up to school looking pristine too my mum was always happy bubbly um you know you re- really couldn't tell that anything was wrong um and, you know, I always say to people, it really is the people you don't expect. Uh, there is no black and white sort of, um, if you're going through domestic abuse, you will look like this. It it just, that, that's not true at all, because there are so many different factors, um, you know, that surround domestic relationships. And that's not even... Um, that's not even just, you know, this physical abuse, financial abuse, emotional abuse. There's so there's such a large spectrum of things mm-hmm. that you can't just look at someone and go, they're a victim. You know you might be able to look at someone and go they're definitely a victim i can tell by their that dynamic of that relationship but you know it is all it is the people you don't expect to you know the people who the people who drive their range rovers the people who you know the kids turn up to school looking pristine the kids are getting straight a's you know but it is also the kids that are coming to school and lashing out and they, they have behavioral issues you know but it might not be those people either those kids who are having behavioral issues it might not be their family it it might not be them but it also might not be the straight issues and those sentences as I've just said don't really make sense but and it doesn't really because because you can't really pinpoint anyone at all because it might be that person but it might also not be that person and the only way that we can really um, establish what's going on is by look it is not by looking at the person their appearance it's by picking up on their behaviors and the way that you know particularly teachers at schools most primary schools if not all primary schools their parent or their guardian or whoever's picking them up has to physically be seen by a teacher so that before that child can go so that you know the kids are not just wandering around on the street or being picked up by someone they're not meant to be picked up by Um, and it's by looking at those dynamics of how their relationship works and what happens at parents evening if you know the if you know that their parents in a relationship and that person doesn't come to parents evening, you know, is there something going on there? You know, or if that person does come to parents evening and you get to see both the parents or, you know, the parent and the partner, um, you know, how does that, the, you know, how is that dynamic working? And it really is all down to training. Um, you know, it's not something that you can unless you're a victim and you work in this field, it, you know, or you you're a highly trained professional, there really isn't anything that, you know, you, you really must train to, to do it. It's not just an intuition thing. You can be intuitive about a lot of situations, yeah. but it's, it's knowing what to look for. Um, that's the, mo- that's the main thing. And, you know, I, I, push for and campaign for education in schools, not just for teachers, but for students, um, because, you know, the rate is so high these days and it, I I personally wasn't taught anything at school about it, really. Um, So for, you know, especially for my friends as well, my story was such an eye-opener for them. And it really was a big shock to the system. And they were like, wow, we had no idea that, not so much that this was going on in my life, but that this actually occurs. Um, You know, it was such a big shock to a lot of them. Um, And it just goes to show just how... Um, ignorant people are and it's not it's not a, a choice it's not a choice that they're ignorant they just don't haven't been given that information you know and it, it really is a sad situation Um, getting back to my story I always go off on tangents I'm honestly I waffle so much I get told off for it all the time <laughs> um, So
0: back onto your story no, sorry. I think it's a very valid point before you go in you know uh, what so? What age was that? So you said you. I'm not good with years. So you know, like year one, year two. That's that's. Uh,
1: that's four to five, I think. Year one.
0: Five. I mean that already. That's such a young age to have that responsibility to have that. You know that's that's, uh, and and what's really interesting as well. What you said is is that. Um, I think it's crucial. Education is the key to all of it. And when maybe someone like yourself goes to a school and then just the fact that kids think, oh, because it's, they're so clever of making, normalising. They're so clever of making things normal and it's an osmosis. It just gradually creeps along. That's why if one day you went to a bedroom, your bedroom and had all locks on it, maybe, but this process is slow and insidious and it, it, this is how it they creep in like that, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean that is exactly how coercive control works. I mean, it, you just you're just made to believe that things like that are normal. And for you know for someone like myself, starting incredibly young, going through that that sort of situation, why wouldn't I think that was normal? No, I've got nothing else to compare it to. Really, the only thing you have to compare it to as a child is. Um, other families relationships um and you know your perpetrator might not let you be a part of other families really so you might not witness how other family units work I mean in my situation you know my mum did have a lot of friends we were were able to to see a lot of different people and I was able to experience a lot of different family dynamics however I would you know I would say to my mum well we're not like that or this you know this isn't normal why are we in this situation this isn't a normal situation to live in it you know etc um, and because I didn't know any better my mum was quite you know she had quite an easy excuse really she was able to say well they're just doing it because they put on a show in front of other people um you know because I didn't know any better and I knew that we used to put on a show for other people mm-hmm. and we'd pretend to be happy you know and it I I couldn't argue with that I I had no you know even though I knew that she wasn't really telling me the truth I couldn't argue with that I couldn't say well how you know you're wrong because there was there was no reasonable evidence that I had to say otherwise um you know I'm not I'm not in other people's families I'm not behind closed doors with them um you know so it really was she was quite you know and after a while I did just I just accepted that I was like well you know that's that's fine then I'll you know I just accepted it Um, and, and that's kind of what happens you just you're so used to just going you know contradicting what you are feeling and and not saying anything just going oh do you know what that's fine you know you, your words and your actions contradict everything going on in your head um it's you know instead of speaking out and going actually no that's wrong you you you're, you you learn to just end up going yeah okay um that's fine and and that is that's part of the coercion um, of those relationships and you know it does it spills down from the parents to the children um you know and quite often children do become weapons. I was quite lucky i wasn't particularly used as a weapon for most of my life and that was the really the only situation I was a weapon in um you know so I I got quite fortunate with that you know unfortunately I've got friends who you know that their parents and their families are they they split up years ago and they're still fighting over them and you know they really are stuck in the middle and I, I, it's so sad um, it really is and you know my my heart does go out to to my friends who are in those situations and I'm so fortunate that I I was I wasn't and I am not in that situation and um, you know because it is just hor- it's horrific for for them they're, you know they, they're so conflicted too um, but you know it comes in all sorts of different forms like I said there's no black and white and unfortunately people do still seem to think that. Um, domestic abuses, it's black eyes, dark sunglasses, you know, heavy foundation, you know, all those different things and it's it's not at all, it comes in so many different forms. Um, Anyway, I I think I've waffled on that that situation there for quite a long time now. Uh, I am conscious of time as well. Um so you know, my mum was able to get out of that relationship that you know that was that was great. We got our own house. Um, you know, right well, we couldn't afford to buy a house, um, but we, we did rent a house and um you know, she met um, she met someone new when I was seven, two weeks after my seventh birthday. Um, my mum had obviously been divorced before um, and he'd been divorced before. And it was quite odd because both of them were good friends with their divorce lawyer and their divorce lawyer was the same person and he set them up. Oh. um so it's it's quite <laughs> quite strange um you know it's it's a very odd situation but um yeah he set them up on a blind date my mom would never it was she'd never been on a blind date before it's not her thing oh. and um someone just said oh cheryl just go for it so you know she did she went and um she didn't expect to like him at all um but you know they, they got on well um he came across as being the most charming person, you know, very typical, but you know, um, behaviour for, for someone who who is an abuser, very charming, um, you know, absolute, you know, just absolutely amazing at first. And then slowly, the behaviour just start to change. Um, so my mum was with him for um, four years, uh, and then they got engaged. Um, so in that, for even in that four, first four years. The abuse was unbelievable, um but it was not physical right. so to so my mum you know it, I mean her relationships through her entire life had been um had been abusive um before I was born uh you know so for her to then enter a relationship where it's very coercive and there's no physical sort of harm to her she I think she just thought she'd probably hit the jackpot a little bit. Um, And she wasn't quite as aware that that was also abusive um, as sort of myself and other people were. Um, because to her, she was like, Well, I, there's a man who doesn't hit me. Um, you know, there's a man who doesn't lock me in rooms and, and leave me there all day. You know, she had a relationship before I was born and she was within 10 years. And, um, you know, some doors have like a lock at the top and you have the special key. He'd lock her in rooms and then go out for the day and, and leave her there. I mean, fortunately, the next door neighbor was her good friend. So she used to bang the wall or scream until, her, you know, and she'd given her friend a key so that she could come in and, and lock her. Um, you know, so. A, that's that's an entirely different story altogether but you know it just goes to show that you know my mum was abused her whole life in those kind of relationships um and you know she said to herself all she really wanted was just to feel loved and to be loved um, and I don't think she ever really found that um and and she but she thought she'd found it in this relationship um, um but yeah he was very coercive um and that started you know almost immediately uh, he'd come over and stay every, you know every other night pretty much because uh, he had a son of his own um who was 4 years older than me so he would have been about 10 um, and you know, him and his ex-wife had split up, obviously, um, and they they shared custody. So um, my stepdad, would, well, he he became my stepdad, and uh, he'd have to go and you know he'd have his his son um, x amount of nights in the week, and the nights he didn't have him, he'd come and stay with us. Um, but I sort of clocked that something wasn't quite right straight away, um, in the sense that you know my mum would put me to bed like two, you know, an hour and a half earlier. Than she would the days he wasn't there, and um, you know he'd come as I you know as I was going to bed, and it, it was very much that I was kept away from him. I wasn't sort of really allowed to interact with him, um, particularly very much, um, and I always you know if if I was around him. There was always that uncomfortable feeling of "Hmm, I'm not entirely sure he accepts me. Um, You know, he was he was very good to me to start with, uh, you know, after that sort of initial period. Um, He owned he owned a farm. Um, this is this is how I got into farming. Um, so he, he had a farm, and, and we would go and stay um, occasionally at the weekend. Um, and you know he was great. He would take me around the farm. He'd let me um, he'd let me sit in between his legs and drive the tractors and things because I, I was still only quite young at the time. Um, you know, so I, I was quite heavily involved with um, with the farm. I, I fell in love with it straight away. Um, you know, and I would help it. I'd go, well, I, I thought I was helping, and I'd go and try and help him. You know, a lot of the time, and I just wanted to be with him really because my dad wasn't a Prominent figure in my life, so I was just desperate to have, um, you know, some someone sort of be a father to me, um, a proper father too, not just you know someone who flits in and out of your life whenever they feel like it. And yeah. um, so you know, it was it was a very strange period because he would he, he also just sort of walked out on my mum occasionally. You know, um, very uh, you know towards the start of their relationship, they um, uh, my mum had. Two, two or three miscarriages. I think uh, it was definitely two. I think there was a third, uh, but I, I can't particularly remember. And um, he was incredibly cruel every single time. You know, my mum was in her forties, and um, unfortunately, because she was sort of, uh, she was, she wasn't late. She was mid 40s so you know she was coming towards the, the time where it was sort of you know she was getting a you know too old nearly to be having a baby at that point um and her body just couldn't cope with it and that, you know that was the reason she lost she lost a baby um you know each time and um you know all he'd ever said to her was oh, i just want another i just want another child I just want another child and he really made her believe that it you know he really reinforced that it was her fault yeah. um you know every time that this happened, and he he disappeared for two or three weeks. Now, that would leave me to pick up the pieces. Um, you know, my mum had had friends and and whatnot, but when it's late at night and you're alone in the house, there's no no friends there. There's no one else to to be supportive. So I was the one who had to do that. I mean, I never got the chance to really be a child. Um, You know, I I had to grow up incredibly fast. I mean, right from the word go, really, I had, I was experiencing problems with my dad. Then uh, we had these problems with this relation, you know, my mum's relationship where I was getting beaten. And, you know, now we have this situation and I never really had that chance to be a child and and not have to worry about my mum. I, I, I w- well I didn't parent my mum in any way shape or form but you know I was very much um I was more of an adult in that situation um and I would find myself quite frequently having to look after my mum because something had happened um you know she she was an incredible mother I can't I can't particularly fault her you know the, the opportunities that she gave me and the sacrifices she made um for me to have a decent life even out of these situations um, you know it was unbelievable she she would bent over backwards you know i went to private school after i left that that school um that i was on about earlier you know i went to private school she bent over backwards to put me in there she had to get a bursary she had to sacrifice so much to the point where she would struggle to buy food every week you know because you know because she given up so much money for me to have such a good education um and to go to such a prestigious school um you know and it was the the upbringing that I had, regardless of those situations we were in, our relationship was, was amazing. You know, she, she gave everything for me, Um, you know, and it it really hurt her, um, particularly um, with this relationship where, you know, with my stepdad, when she got married, it really hurt her to know that, um, you know, she just sort of felt, Oh, I'd put Georgia through it again. Mm. When this, when she realized this relationship was failing, um, you know, and, I don't I think that was the biggest sort of guilt she had in her life but I you know I I never I never really said so, you. Know, I never ne- let her feel like she'd failed me. She never failed me. That wasn't her fault. No one asks to be abused. No one walks oh. into a relationship and goes, come on, abuse me. It's just something that happens. And, you know, it it re- is a really difficult situation to get out of. Um, you know, and there's never, no, I'll never put any blame on my mum for that. That was not her fault at all. That was just something that, um, you know, came about. And unfortunately, it was really just a series a series of unfortunate events, to be honest. You know, it was it was a really difficult situation. Um, so yeah, with the miscarriages, he'd run off for weeks, and he just wouldn't speak to her. And um, when he did, he'd be really um, you know really harsh on her. Um, I was told by uh, one of my mum's friends um, a, a lot later on, you know, from from these events happening, that um, the one night in particular, um, he made her sit on the kitchen table. On the wooden kitchen table um, and bleed into a bucket, and he wouldn't let her go to the toilet or wouldn't let her go to bed Um, because, you know, according to him, she was dirty, she was this, that, and the other, and you know, and it was her fault. Um, I, you know, I never heard this come. This didn't come from my mum, but it came from a very close, trusted friend, and I have no reason to not believe that this happened. Um, you know, it's very much in his nature and his character to make that, to to do that. Um, and I know my mum wouldn't have told me because she, you know, as a mum, you try to protect your child. You know, yeah. she, she'd, you know, she, she, in her mind, I'm I'm trying to word this right. In her mind, she'd thought that she'd put me through enough already. You know, it wasn't her fault. She hadn't put me through anything, but we had been through things together. Um, and, you know, she, felt that she'd put me through enough already and I'd seen enough already that she didn't obviously want to put on me anymore I mean I shouldn't think that was fair so that there are bits even now there's there's probably things I still don't know um but you know uh, and there's been a lot that I found out over the last two or three years um that I never would have found out sort of previously um but yeah there's still things I'll never know and I don't know and to be honest they're better being with the people who do know about them and just staying between people who were, were in those situations um so yeah I mean because he was never really directly abusive there wasn't really um my mum didn't really quite click what was going on but it's sort of the main sort of coercion side um you know it was only it only really became noticeable what was going on um in terms of um sort of when we became isolated and we moved into his his house with him um sort of after after the four years when they got engaged um my mum was threatening to leave at this point because she said look I just don't see this relationship it, it's not going anywhere um you know I haven't moved in with you we haven't got you know haven't got engaged what do you want really because I was going to secondary school at that point and my mum wanted to buy a house um and to put down some roots for me because you know unfortunately my dad um it's very unlikely he'll ever leave me anything he he's he's not supported me financially so my mum really wanted to just put down some roots and make sure that i was having a, you know, having a good setup ready to go to secondary school, really. Um, and then, of course, um, he proposed, you know, uh, how, you know, it's just, yeah. <laughs> what else did we expect, really? And, um, you know, my mum, I don't think she really felt that she could say no. Um, and she, you know, he promised us all along, well, it, it, once this happens, this will happen. And once we get engaged, this will happen. Once we get married, this will happen. And, you know, he, used say, he used to say to me, I used to say to him, um, you know, are uh, when when you're going to start reacting like a dad to me and you go not until this has happened and I, uh, you know not until we've been together for a few years because we still might split up and I and then you know a few years go by well when you're you going to be starting to be a dad to me and you go oh, um you know once we're engaged and then once I got engaged when you're going to be a dad to me because you still aren't doing it Oh, uh, when we get married, because we still might split up, you know, and it's and it carried on, and it was, you know, until you're adopted, until you, you know, and then it became, you'll never have my DNA, and you know, there's no point. And I was like, right, okay, so that's unfortunately what they do, it's just dangling the carrot, dangling the carrot. That's, you know, a very big thing of theirs, but yeah, when we moved into the farm. I never really, it was only then that things started to click, particularly my mum never went out anymore. Um, You know, and before that, she'd had a very, you know, she used to go out loads, um, you know, with her friends, she had loads of friends, she used to go out all the time. Um, You know, she used to do loads of things. She used to take me out. She used to get so annoyed because (laughs) I was, she'd taken me out like nearly every day or every weekend from such a young age that um, when it came to the holidays or something as I got older and she just wanted to stay in because she was tired or she was poorly, I'd have a because I'd be like, come on, I want to go out. I was, I would never wanted to be at home. I was very restless. Um, and she, she cursed herself then because she'd be like, oh, well, I, I've done this to myself from taking you out so young, you know. And then it got to the point where she just didn't want to go out anymore. Um, and that was because, you know, he never explicitly said to her or to myself, you can't go out. But what he would do is if we went out or my mum went out, you'd come home and he'd be in a foul mood. Yeah. And he'd punish you for that and you'd get the silent treatment, et cetera. And, you know, then it was, oh, that was a bit odd. So you'd go out again, it would happen again. And then you keep going out. And, you know, at that point, it's still worth going out. You know, you think, oh, I'm having a better time there. I can ignore what's going on at home. But then it gets to the point where it becomes so frequent and it gets, um, you know, it gets more often and you know the the moves get worse and the implications become bigger then you know it's not worth going out anymore because of the mood that you're going to have at home so you just really you know so that's that's what happened my mom just didn't come out anymore she lost contact with a lot of friends um you know she would invite friends over to to sort of combat going out and um if he was there he'd make them feel highly uncomfortable so they never wanted to come back yeah so at that point you know we lost contact with a lot of friends um and the only times my mum really did go out was to go he played pool for our local town and he was he was very well known in the town um he very much was a you know jack the lad really and you know every everyone knew him um and I think, you know, because he was a farmer and he drove a Range Rover, um, you know, his his friends called him Lordy, um, which in itself is very, you know, high and mighty chauvinistic.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: and he really did feel that he was better than everyone. Um, and he made out that he had loads more money than he did, when in reality, he was just fiddling the farm books. Um, you know, he didn't have that much money at all. He he But he... he emulated to the to everyone else that he did and everyone believed that he was such this you know he was this big character and you know he was this high and mighty person and he loved that he loved all the attention from that but he really wasn't and you know, but the only time everyone would go out was with him um you know or a lot of the time we were left at home and he'd go to the pub on his own for for a long period of time the only time we really saw him was if we went to the pub Um, And fortunately, um, his sort of local was um, a country pub. So I was allowed to go in, Um, you know, in in town, you know, most kids aren't allowed in after, I don't know, eight o'clock or whatever it is. But, you know, I was allowed to go in. So we were actually able to go and see him and and stay with him. But, um, you know, my mum would always sort of count his pints, really, because... He'd get to the point where it would it would be literally a one pint difference he'd go from being this lovely person when he was drunk hilarious very generous you know actually quite a nice person and then he'd have one more pint and he would turn into the most obnoxious nasty person you've ever met and it was it was a very fine line literally a, a pint's difference um you know and my mum would be counting and making you know checking up oh it's coming it's coming and she'd try and stop him before he had that because otherwise, you know, we'd just end up, or oh, it'd be hell when we got home. And um, you know, he never really had to physically intimidate my mum. He was six foot, eighteen stone. Um, used to play rugby, big guy, very big, you know, big burly farm. And he wasn't, he wasn't fat. He was muscly. Yeah. Uh, you know, so he didn't really. And my mum was only five, you know, five, 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 six, um, small, skinny, blonde. You know, he didn't need to intimidate her particularly physically because she just knew already he you know she didn't stand a chance against that but he was incredibly intelligent I don't think I've met anyone as intelligent as him um you know he my mum used to say and it was true he was wasted on being a farmer really he could have been anyone he wanted to be he was he had the brains for it um so he was quite good you know he was very articulate and very good with his words and my you know my mum, she she was also, she was intelligent. She, had, you know, she managed to get um, some really, you know, some great jobs and she was very clever and very good at what she did. Um, and she always loved a good challenge, but she wasn't as intelligent as him. Um, and well, not as good with words anyway. Um, so he was quite, easily able to tie her up in an argument um or in a discussion so a lot of the time she would really he would belittle her um and she'd just be left feeling about you know this big um and a lot of the time she after that after a while you just didn't bother because you just know that you're going to get the same treatment. You either get ignored, like completely ignored, or, um, you know, he'd give us a silent treatment for weeks. You'd have no idea what you'd done wrong. Um, there's one thing giving someone the silent treatment if they've done something wrong. Then there's the other thing giving someone the silent treatment and refusing to even tell them what they've done wrong in the first place. So we were constantly questioning what we were doing. Um, so, you know, he'd, he'd either ignore you or he'd just tie you up. So a lot of the time, you, you know, you just didn't bother talking to him in the first place. Um, you know, they got married and, and things started to get better um for a short period of time. And um, then once they were married, obviously it, it you know swiftly declined because he had he had my mum where he wanted her, they were married, she couldn't just up and leave. It wasn't as easy as that. Um, you know, that was sort of the final stage of his his plan, if if you must say, you know, and um it really sort of did decline from there. Um It was sort of, so they got married in 2016, I think, July, yeah, July 2016. Um, And so I was 12, I think it was my first year at uh, secondary school. Um, And then as of December 2017, um, the relationship had already completely broken down, and um, so the whole of 2017, he just became a changed person, horrifically changed person. I mean, don't get me wrong, Harvest is an incredibly stressful time for anyone who, who's yeah. a farmer. Um, especially if you you know if you farm arable it's a very it's an incredible stressful time because that that is your year's income you you know um and if something goes wrong if your machines break anything like that if the weather changes it can be absolutely detrimental to to what's going to happen to the business um and it's long hours you've got to get everything in as quick as possible so you know it is it is a stressful time but he took stressful time to the next level you know and um he'd sort of really play it up in a way and but he'd he'd work all day incredibly long hours then he'd just go to the pub and he wouldn't just call into the pub have a pint on the way home he'd call into the pub and he'd stay there all night and then he'd roll in at very early hours of the morning but then he'd complain that he was sick of working long hours and that he was sick of not seeing us and being at home with the family and it's like well it's, it's not our fault and then we'd get it in the neck because he wasn't coming home and he wasn't seeing us and we it would be our fault and it's like well it's not our fault we don't drive your car we don't you know we don't take you to the pub and make you stay with four pints down your neck you know so um it, it was quite a a comical situation really but also horrific at the same time um but you know he was going he was really going downhill um and he was saying, "Oh, I'm going to sell the farm," and he just really, um, he really changed. Um, my mum changed a lot in that period of time as well. Um, I think there was a lot of things going on that probably I wasn't aware of. Um, you know, uh, because I, to be honest, I stopped listening. To, <laughs> after a while, I just, I just gave up getting involved um, and paying attention. I, oh, I always had, I always had listening in there, um, because obviously I was, I was incredibly protective of my mum um you know, I was always sort of paying attention to to the mood but I I just gave up listening um you know particularly but my mum lost an incredible amount of weight um you know and she wasn't very big anyway and she lost an incredible amount of weight and she she looked ill actually and she did start to get a lot of bruises and you know I never personally witnessed or, or knew of any sort of violence and I you know he didn't really. He didn't need to be violent, but you know, my mum was co- was um, starting to develop a lot of bu- uh, bruises, and um, you know, she got. I'd say, "What you done there?" Oh, I don't know, and it, every answer would be, oh, "I don't know," and uh, you know, I just I did start to, to become suspicious, but um, like again, I have no evidence that that ever happened. Um, you know, that's just speculation on my behalf. Um, but you know, she she did start to look incredibly ill. Um, and very stressed out and you know it got to december and, and they they did split up um he'd come home drunk um one night after shooting you know i, I grew up around guns from from being with him um uh, you know i love shooting it's part of my it's is in my blood really i mean <laughs> i i i do love it i love everything about the countryside it's something i i deeply enjoy um you know and it's it's great to be part of that tradition Um, And, you know, he'd come home drunk from shooting. Um, We hadn't been. Uh, My mum was in bed. It was very late at night. I was in bed. Um, My stepsister was also staying over. Um, She's a lot older. She's got her own children. So they were with us as well. Um, And he would decided that he wanted to talk about their relationship uh, my mum had been trying for months and months and months to get him to talk and all he'd do was either roll over in bed and ignore her or you know ignore her give her, give her the silent treatment or just flat out refuse to talk about it um, and he'd come in and he'd decided that he wanted to talk about it yeah. and um, my mum was watching the television and uh, you know she just ignored him she just thought do you know what I'm going to give you a taste of your medicine so she just ignored him and carried on watching the TV. And um this never happened before so it was quite a it was quite a shock really. Um he just turned round, grabbed the TV and went, "Oh, so you're more interested in this, are you?" wrenched it all the all the cables and everything came flying out the wall. Um and he you know, it, he must have given it a good tug because that was in quite quite tight because it was behind the unit as well, so it wasn't easy to get out. Um and then he smashed up on the floor and you know, this, our farmhouse was nearly two hundred years old. The floorboards in there were, were original. They had carpet over the top, but the floorboards were the original floorboards. Um, it ripped the carpet and put a hot a dent in the floorboard. Now you can imagine that's gonna take some force to put dent in like oak, solid oak. Yeah. floorboards um you know so that was that was quite scary I me mean, exploded i I heard it from my room i text my mum going what's going on uh, i just heard this bang but i just assumed i mean there was a bit of a commotion going on so yeah you know, they were arguing but i just assumed that he probably just walked into the wardrobe or something you know i, I didn't really I, well, I i never would have guessed in a million years he'd done that um he did go back downstairs and uh, he was messing around in his gun cabinet now that was not normal normally he'd come in from a shoot he'd take his gun apart if it'd been raining um, and he'd leave it under the kitchen radiator to dry so and then the next morning he'd put it all together he'd clean it clean his barrels um, and put it away or if it was dry he'd just bring it in um, leave it in the back room and then clean it the next day and put it away in the cabinet so there was no reason for him to be going in the cabinet this late at night um he was breaking the gun, putting it back together, breaking the gun, putting it back together. You could hear that he was doing that. I was the opposite side of the house. Uh, this is a big house and I could hear that. So, you know, he was he was trying to make his presence known really and make it known that he was playing with his gun. Um, he, did, he came back up, he stomped very slowly up the stairs and it was, um, a, you know, in a very um, predatory way really and um, he he flung open the bedroom door to my mum, to their room. And, uh, you know, he didn't have the gun, fortunately, um, you know, but he made my mum believe he had the gun. Um, and then, you know, he he said to her, he said, if you let me walk out this door, I'm going to divorce you. And my mum just couldn't be bothered with his antics. So she, you know, she was hardly going to get on her knees and start begging after what he'd just done. Um, so, yeah, he, he left. He got He just got in his truck and, and drove off. I don't know. I think he went to his friends. I don't know. Uh, but he didn't come back that night. Uh, myself, and my step sister came bombing out of our rooms and uh, you know, we went to go see my mum and I personally have never seen my mum so scared. Um, it was quite a shock to me. Um, you know, she was shaking, like violently shaking because she she was so certain he'd had the gun Um you know, he was just the way he was acting with it. I um, mean, you know, she was so certain he was going to kill her. Um, and you know, it was really quite disturbing to see that her reaction to it. It was, it was scary. Um, my mum actually wanted to stay. I was the one who said, no, we're going. I'm not staying here anymore. I don't feel safe. Let's go. Um, sorry, I live in a new build. It's, these houses get so dry. Um, so, yeah, we left and... Um, we we ended up staying at my steps for a few days. Um, then we came to my Alan and house. So my stepsister and my now and actually lived on the same estate at the time. Um, so I was sort of flitting between the two houses, but my mum was mainly, mainly here. Um, and we were there for probably about five weeks, six weeks. Um, and we were able to get our own property, um, also on the same estate. Um, it was a house that we were renting. Uh, and uh you know it wasn't very big it was only a three bed but i say three bed it was a box room really so it was it was a two bed and a box room so um you know but it was it was good for us the two of us and and my dog so you know it, it, it worked um and it got us away from him really um you know but in that period of time there were so many suicide threats from him um you know we went back for christmas day and christmas day was horrific i've <sighs> we went back just to satisfy him because he was, he was like, he was very unstable at this time. He was one minute. He was, um, you know he was begging, and he was crying to us, "Come back, come back, and then it would be, "I hate you, you know j-j-j-j-j. you must come back to me because this is gonna happen if you don't and you know it wasn't that he was mentally unstable; he was just trying every trick in the book yeah. um you know if that if crying didn't work, he'd get angry and try and threaten us to and intimidate us to come back then when that didn't work, he'd go back to crying again um you know he was stalking us. He was going around to every one of our friends, um, you know, either hoping to find us there um, or or to speak to them. If he found us there, obviously he'd confront us. But if he um, if we weren't there, he'd just go into our friends and um, he'd try and sort of convince them that he was actually a nice guy, um, which they'd all figured out he wasn't. Um, you know, he try he cried to them and and say you must make Charles come back. You know, please, please. Um, he stopped eating and whatever, and he lost about three stone. Um, and I think you know he 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 did it on purpose, really, to to make my mum feel bad for him. You know, she did feel bad for him. She invited him round to our new house um, for dinner twice, I think, because she said, look, you're not eating he you, you know he he even stopped drinking now that was that was a big one because he he, he was a big drinker so for him to stop drinking was uh, you know shocking um and you know she invited him and said look i'll cook you a good meal because i know you're not eating and i wa- I don't want you to get um un- you know to be unwell yeah you know, that's how kind she was she still went out and looked after him even though he was th- he was threatening to kill himself he was stalking us he turned up to her workplace with a shotgun um you know uh, he was sat in his car and he. I think he phoned her and said, you know, if you don't come out to me, um, I'm going to gonna kill myself. Um, and, you know, my mum my mom also didn't want to feel responsible for his death if he did. Um, he was never going to do it. It was all just threats and, you know, blackmail, really. But he tried, um, you know, to, to he thought she was a bit more naive than she was, um, you know. And he was he was trying to he was threatening to kill himself, thinking it was going to work. Um, you know, it didn't. But my mum also didn't want him to kill himself because if he did, she would feel incredibly guilty even though it was never her fault and he never would have been. That would be solely his choice. She felt like everyone would think it was her fault um, and would blame her for it. Um, You know, he did end up having his guns taken off him because of how he was acting. Um, But you know, he was still driving around our house and, you know, driving past and constantly just checking in on us. Um, he did steal our car off my nan and grandma's drive. Um, It was late at night. My nan and grandma had gone out and uh, he had the spare key to my mum's car. Um, And I, he'd either brought his car with him and parked away from our house or he got a taxi, I can't remember which. And um, he just simply got in our car because he had the spare key and drove off with it. Um, and it wasn't until my mum looked out the window and went, where's the car gone that, you know, we realized what he'd done. Um, and he refused to give the car back for a few days. You know, it was a lease hire car. It was a Range Rover Evoke. It was lease hire. And uh, it had been put in his business's name simply for the fact that we could claim the VAT back with it being a business. Yeah. Um, and it just overall would have been cheaper. So technically it was in his name. Um, however, my mum was the only one that drove it. The only one that made any payments to it. You know, she was the only one to put fuel in it or, you know, it was her car just legally in his name. Um, and he was saying, Oh, well, it's my car. It's in my name. You're not having it back. Um, and he took it and he, he sort of (laughs) held it hostage almost for three days. And, um, then he gave it back really just suddenly out of the blue. And it was quite odd that he just had a really odd change of heart and gave it back. Um, I mean, little did we know that he'd actually put a tracker on it. um, And, yeah, that's why he'd taken the car in the first place to fit a tracker to it, so he could watch our every move. um, And you know he he gave the car back we didn't know that we didn't know there was a tracker on it um you know we probably should have looked for a tracker on it but in that situation you don't think to do that i mean this is why we need this is why i think we need more education because you know we would never have even thought in a million years to just check underneath the car see if there was a little device stuck on it Mm -hmm. Um, and if we had we probably would have found it um so you know we we were quite naive in that situation um and we just sort of carried on life as it was. I was really starting to struggle with school. Not something that had ever really happened to me before. Um, so it was quite odd, you know. And I'd said to school, I said, oh, you know, he's playing with his guns. And uh, I immediately knew I messed up um you know because i'd be uh, as a domestic abuse victim you're c- conditioned um, especially as a child from a young age to not tell anyone what's going on because you yeah. know it could cause big problems and you know these people c- come in and they claim to help but they don't always do you know they don't always help and you know family courts step in and social services step in and you know it doesn't always help um you know and Yeah, 99% of the time they do, and they are good, but there there is that 1% that it doesn't help. um, And they actually, it feels like it causes more hindrance than than help. And um, especially if they don't do anything, if they just come in, assess the situation, and step out. Yeah. As that victim, you are going to get pummeled now
0: because. Thanks,
1: thanks for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cheers. It, it causes more problems, yeah. but yeah. You know, school called family connect. Um, you know, as their protocol suggests, you know, it was their responsibility. Um, and then they called my mum and said, "Look, you really need to call the police." So she did call the police. Um, and you know, she reported him. However, she didn't. She didn't say everything. Um, she sort of gave a base. Sort of the, a baseline of what was going on, but she didn't say anything, everything, As most domestic abuse victims wouldn't, no. uh, you know, they they wouldn't say much because they're sc- not so you know they they are scared. But also, they if something doesn't if they don't do something about it, again, they're going to get absolutely hammered for you know by their abuser for saying something in the first place, and you know and. She, being the nice person she was she didn't want him to lose his guns um she said it repeatedly I don't want him to lose his guns because um he loved shooting and shooting was his outlet really um and she just thought if he loses his guns and he can't go shooting that's just going to come back even more at me really um you know that was just going to come back more at her and um it was just going to cause even more problems and he'd become even more unhappier. And then she thought, well, he really might go and kill himself if that happens. Um, you know, because he loves shooting. Um, and you know, she didn't want anything bad to happen to him. She just, she just wanted the situation to go away. That was the simple thing. She just wanted it all to go away and him to just leave her alone and for us to just get on with our life. Um, you know, and he didn't leave us alone. He kept coming and it just kept going on and on and on. And, you know, the police did they did take his guns um because of it and um, because of what I'd said. But um the police so i we're under West Mercia, um, but we live on the border of Staffordshire. So um Staffordshire Police, so where we used to live on the farm, that's Staffordshire Police. But where we moved to, even though it's only three miles down the road, through well, a couple miles down the road, is um West Mercia. So the two forces had to communicate between each other, um, and they didn't do so particularly effectively. Um, and you know there there were several issues, but um, there was two meetings that they were supposed to come and have with my mum and myself um, to do an incident report, basically, and to log to log what happened um, just just for future reference, really, um, and see if they need to take any more action against him. They failed to turn up to two meetings. Um, This is early January of 2018. Um, They failed to turn up to two meetings. And um, they finally turned up to the third meeting. And, uh, you know, this guy, he was a nice police officer. um, He interviewed us both together, which um, probably isn't the best thing because, you know, my mum was obviously holding back information. As he turned up and parked outside and I went to the door, my mum turned around and went, don't tell him everything play it down I don't want him to get in trouble yeah you know and I, I just went I'm not doing that you know and then I opened the door and she couldn't say anything then because I'd already opened the door to him um but you know so I said as much as I could but my mum wouldn't particularly back me up or she'd you know she'd give me a bit of a look or you know whatever if I'd said something um and you know what she said she played down she didn't say everything um so you know, it was difficult because he didn't get the full story really, um, and you know, he didn't have a dash checklist either. Which you know, um, I don't know if you're you're aware of them, but it's like a um, a harm. Um, I, I can't remember exactly what it stands for, but it's like a, a harm assessment basically. So, it, are you? Is it low level heart risk of harm, high level risk of harm, um, etc. And it, it uses um, you know specific questions to to. Use that, and then it's, it gives you sort of a score. I, I think that's how it works, anyway. Um, you know, and it's such a useful tool that the police have. And he didn't have that, um, yeah. and so he couldn't accurately and effectively ask us questions to see um, whether we were in that that uh, low level or high level risk. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, that was a bit of a fail, failing on the on the police' behalf too. Um, and at the end of the meeting, he said. Oh, it's fine, he can have his guns back then. Um, because he's he's only showing um he's only showing sort of harmful behavior towards himself. Oh. So um and I I was very bemused by that. I was like, right, okay, so not only have you know, I was more concerned about the fact that they'd let him have his guns back, even though he was showing that he, you know, signs of being harmful towards himself. I was like, does, does his life not matter? Yeah. That was a question I had. Um, you know, obviously I was more concerned about myself and my mum, but at the same time, that was also a question that was in the back of my mind. Um, but that didn't matter anyway. Um, you know, to be honest, the outcome was the outcome. Um, and him being allowed to have his guns back or not being allowed to, to have his guns back wouldn't have changed anything. Um, so it was actually the next day. And the next evening, my mum had gone out to the pub. Um, she'd gone to a completely different area um, and nowhere that she would ever go before. She, I don't think she'd been there for about 10 years, 15 years at least, uh, probably more than that. Um, and she just went on a whim, didn't tell anyone. She just said, she literally texted a friend saying, I'm coming to yours tonight, be ready. I'm picking you up, taking you out. Didn't even tell her friend where they were going. Um, so there was no way that anyone would have known where they were going because she and she never would have gone out of the area so he wouldn't have known to look for her there. um i was i ended up staying at, at her friend's house um with her her friend's daughter um i wouldn't say i was babysitting because her daughter wasn't that young but i i was the eldest yeah. um and you know i was sort of looking after her daughter um we were friends anyway so we got on um and they went you know they set off they went to the pub everything was okay um and then i got a text um from my mum saying oh Jack's just turned up. And I was like, hang on, why is he turned up? I mean, right, let me set this straight quick as well. His name legally is Andrew, so in all the news reports it's Andrew, but um, his middle name is Jonathan, so people used to call him John or Jack, so I know, I know him as Jack, so... Um but yeah, in the news and illegally it's all Andrew. So um I, I try I, I tend to flip between names. You'll see in some newspaper reports I've done I'll call him Andrew and then in others I call him Jack and I just feel I just have to clear that up, otherwise it gets confusing. And then I'm like, people are gonna be sitting there going, Who's Jack? Yeah. So um yeah, I just thought I'd clear it up. So, you know, I got a text saying oh he'd shown up. So um I called my mum straight away, going, Well, what's gone on? you know, how on earth has he found you there? And then she just went I think he's put a tracker on my car and that's sort of when that was the moment we clicked that yeah. bang, that's what's tra- that's why he took the car he put a tracker on it um so um my mum wasn't entirely sure how because with um Range Rover with the Evokes there's like a little thing in the um in the roof anyway like a little GPS in there um and you can actually have it tracked um have a, have a GPS put on the car um, I believe this is what we were told when we went to go and look at it. Um, you can have certain things done to it so you can keep sort of keep track of the car. So if it got nicked, you could fire up this thing and it would tell you where the car was um, and we weren't sure if he'd said, or oh, my, my wife's gone off with the car or whatever, and you know, had that put on it, or we weren't entirely sure what it was. Um, you know, we were just speculating at this point, but he actually hadn't caused that much of a scene at the pub, which I was surprised about. He'd just gone outside, they'd had a conversation, um, and but he, I mean, it was threatening. He'd say he'd threatened to burn all our stuff because, um, you know, we had moved into this new house, but. We went from a massive farmhouse to a tiny little two bed house. We couldn't move everything. Most of our stuff, most of our sentimental stuff actually was still at the farm. Um, so, you know, he was starting to burn all that. And he would have done that was his character type. He'd have just got the digger out, you know, the load all out the yard and just chucked everything in and got some petrol and just gone, poof. yeah, that was, that was what he would have done it. Um, and my mum texted me and she said, can you just call him and speak to him, please? And try and talk him down. Now, she'd never asked me to ever really get involved before. Um, but I'd sort of found my feet the last couple of weeks in this situation because I I was always scared of him, really. I'd never directly ask him a question myself, um, which is daft. You know, I wouldn't ask a member of my own family a question. I had to ask my mum to do it. I'd say, mum, can you ask him this? Um, you know, because I was just, I was so, I just felt uncomfortable around him. Um, you know I, I just felt uneasy there was something not quite right about the whole relationship and the whole situation um, and you know but I, I'd got a bit of a backbone and i was standing up for myself in this period of time and i was standing up for my mum too um, and anyway so I phoned him and I said to my friend I said just record this conversation because I have a feeling I'm gonna need, I just need you to record it I just know you need to record it and um, so I she recorded it and, um, I was right. I mean, he just hurled a load of abuse at me down the phone. Um, he'd never really spoken to me in that manner before. Um, you know, basically just saying I was 14 at this time. I don't just turn 14. He was just saying, oh, you know, well, you're 14. Um, you know, you don't know anything, da, 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 you know, just really being quite nasty. And, um, that he was saying my mum was, was having an affair and that, um, she was pulling the wool over all of our eyes and lying to us all. Um, you know, she wasn't having an affair. They'd split up. She was talking to somebody. You know, they'd they'd only know each other probably a month. Um, you know, if that they they were literally just speaking. Um, and you know, which is well within her rights to do. Her relationship, she's ended, that's gone, that's done. Yeah. Um, you know, but he was convinced that she was having an affair, um, you know, previously, which which isn't true. Um, and you know, he was he was just going crazy. And uh, I, I, I think he hung up. He hung up on me, actually. And, um, you know, I I'd, I'd said what I needed to say and he hung up. And um, I'm so glad I recorded that, that well, I got my phone to record it because it was so vital later on. Uh, but, yeah, my mum came back and picked me up um, and we drove home. It was very strange drive home. I said to her I wanted to call the police now, like then and there, and um she refused she'd refused and i uh, I nearly did, but I didn't want to get in trouble with my mum because and I didn't want to make things worse because if if it all just blew over um I didn't want to be the reason that the police were called again because obviously I was the reason they were called before with telling school um. You know, I I didn't want to be that reason again, Um, mainly because I was scared that my mum was going to tell me off for it. Um, But, you know, I I said to her, no, we're calling the police now. And she said, no, no, no. And she said, I'll do it. I'll do it tomorrow. And I went, you won't do it tomorrow because I'm not with you tomorrow. And I knew she wouldn't. And she said, right, I'll do it when we get in then. Um, And I'd kind of settled for that. I was like, that's fine. At least I know the police are being called. At least I, you know, whether it's now or in ten minutes' time. okay, doesn't matter um and you know we we've got home we were, we were talking in the car um about um how we put the track on we were trying to figure out was it that satellite thing or was it you know something stuck on um and you know the journey passed very quickly but it's very strange because we were saying oh he knows exactly where we are right now it was, it was a very very odd feeling um when we got home we pulled up on the drive and um, I literally just uh, I think my mum actually spotted him first yeah she did um, she obviously looked in her rear view and she'd gone oh my god he's here and I just looked at her, I was like what and um, he'd shot round and he'd um, he blocked us in the drive um, so my mum couldn't she couldn't go if she wanted to Um It was like 11 o'clock at night, so it was dark. Um, There was a a street light behind. Obviously, when the interior light comes on in the car, you cannot see out. It's really difficult to see out. Um, So we couldn't really see what was going on. And um, then there was this massive bang on the window, and he kept banging the window at the driver's side. And um, I was trying to... I couldn't really figure out what he had. Um, It looked like he either had a piece of scaffolding, like tube, or... um, like like a shovel or something I was like right okay this isn't going to go well like I've got to do something about this so I, I jumped out the car um fortunately um but I tore my Achilles tendon at the time so I'd already been on crutches and in a big medical boot for a couple of months um and I still couldn't walk so I have no idea how I ran I mean adrenaline obviously <laughs> oh adrenaline kicks in it's great stuff but I got out of that car and I ran and um you know most people think oh did you run away no I ran directly to him um you know my thought process was if I can call the police and get him away from the door at least my mum can get out the car because she was obviously trapped at that point yeah. and you can get out the car and run and then we'll deal with whatever happens then when it comes to it um but uh, you know he was it, this all happened in you know, the space of seconds really um by the time i'd got out and i i went round the front of the car um i got to around the registration plate sort of yeah. area of the car probably a little bit further on um and uh, there was this uh i heard the glass smash of the car and uh, of the window and i thought would oh, probably just bang through it i mean um i found out later that um it wasn't exactly how i thought it was at that point um but then you know after after the glass smashed, he'd um I'd realised he had a gun. Um and I was like, oh, you know, it, it's all happened very quickly. Yeah. But I was like, oh no, you know, he's got a gun, it's not, it's not scaffold and pipe, it's not this, that and the other. And um, you know, before I could do anything, um he'd he'd sort of Lent further into the car and, uh, you know, he shot her. Um, and this shot went sort of into the neck area. So it severed the spinal cord, severed arteries, everything. So, um, you know, it went like, it went pretty, it was pretty quick. It was probably pretty painless. Um, it, you know, there, there was really nothing that could be done at that point. Um, and you know, he then just turned on his heel and walked off. Um, And I I chased after him. (laughs) Again, everyone thinks I'm mad. I still thought he had one shot in the barrel. I mean, I found out later on that he'd actually shot through the glass. Um, I just, my brain had obviously just cancelled out that that first bang because I was more interested in the glass. Um, And that first shot had gone into the into the chest area. Um, So, if it had just been the first shot, the possibility is that she she may have she probably would have survived. um, But with severe because it it took out her tricep muscle as well um it would you know she would have had severe sort of um problems with her right arm and possibly she you know she would have had severe movement problems anyway and, and probably a lot of breathing problems and all that kind of stuff um but yeah so he walked off and I still thought he had one in the barrel at this point so that puts me in an even more dangerous position um, but I, still, I just chased after him and I, I went after him. I wasn't even angry. I wasn't upset. I thought, you know, if ever, ever anything like that happened, I thought I'd be the person that was going up and just, you know, lamping in one. But um, I didn't. I, I, I think my brain probably processed the, point, the fact that I'm in a very dangerous situation here. We've got a gun. You know, the worst thing to do is go and, you know, go and antagonize him. He's a big guy. I'm not going to be able to, you know, one punch from me is <laughs> it's not going to do a lot. I'm, you know, I'm only quite small. I was only 14 as well, so I was even smaller, um, you know, but I, I still chased after him. He, he just got directly in the truck and um, I stood in front of his truck and uh, I just wanted him to talk to him. I just kept saying to him, why, why have you done this? I just want you to tell me why you've done it. Um, and because that—that was all that was going through my head. And um, I suddenly thought, you know what, I need to move. Because if I don't move, he like he's already in a very, um, you know, heightened state. He wants to get out of here. He's just killed somebody. He doesn't want to be in this area. Um, so I need to move, otherwise he's going to run me over. And um, I only just got out of the way of his. He was in a big Land Rover Defender, so quite you know big truck. And um, yeah, I only just managed to get out of the way of his truck. He wheel span off. Um, you know, very, very quickly and he just drove off and went away and uh, uh, he went back to his farm and he shot himself there um, but he didn't kill himself Um, he just caused himself extreme facial disfigurement Um, you know, like a a severe, a a massive portion of his face um, was was shot off Um, he was taken to hospital by the police uh, well, by the ambulance but the police were obviously there with him as well and um you know he was arrested at this point but um because of his um sort of condition he was at, you know he was in hospital for 10 months and they had to de-arrest him um because of um because the fact that you know you can only hold someone in custody for a certain period of time and because it was longer than that they they couldn't and they couldn't pay for you know police officers to be stood at his bed every single day you know so and because he, he couldn't walk he couldn't move so it wasn't like he was going to get up and leave and he I think he was in a locked ward anyway so he couldn't he couldn't escape um but yeah so that ended up happening but I went back to my mum after after she shot her um you know like I said earlier I know a lot about guns I've been around guns for a, a long period of time um and I know that you don't get shot from that um know, from from that close with that caliber gun um and survive it. So I I already know. I you know, you just get that feeling. I think it you know it's partially a family thing as well. I think when you start connected to someone you just know. Um and also I've I've just seen this happen, I know a lot about guns, you just know. Um but I, you know, in the back of my head I was like, I've got to just um you know obviously we're gonna have to call the amb- you know an ambulance here in paramedics and whatever because they're gonna need to try and do what they can to, to save her if she you know if there is any chance um, but um, I just need to check to see if you know if there is any sort of um, you know because I, I didn't know where I'd shot her either um, I couldn't see anything really um, and you know she'd, she'd slumped over onto it sort of nearly on the passenger seat really you know um, so and because the centre console was quite high, um, I wasn't able to, fortunately, able to see any of the wounds up here, you know, on her, in her neck and, and chest. But I didn't know whether she'd been shot in the face and that, you know, I didn't know where. Um, and, you know, I protected myself. I opened the car door. I, I went to her and um, but I, I protected myself by not looking too far. Um, I went to look and I, I just said to myself, no, you don't want to do that because if she's been shot in the head, you're going to regret that the rest of your life looking at that. That's never going to leave you. So I didn't look, um, you know, I, I chose to just remember her how I knew her um, because otherwise that would have just tainted, that view would have tainted out everything I ever knew. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I, I said to her, I was like, right, if if you can hear me, you need to to give me something. You, know, you need to, to tell me that you still lie. you know, even if you just wiggle your fingers or whatever, um, you know, which I, I said, obviously said that because, you know, you talk if you do first aid you're taught if someone's on you know sort of unconscious and you don't know whether they're alive you've got to do that you first you know, um, sort of see if there's a response there um, obviously I didn't get a response and uh, you know I I, um, I tried to feel for a pulse like there was no pulse there neither and like I knew you know I was well aware of the fact that you know she she wasn't with us anymore but if I hadn't have checked I'd never forgiven myself if I hadn't have done that um and then you know fortunately the next door neighbor came running out of his house and he was like come on get in and he practically dragged me in. Bless him. he him <laughs> he was only in his box this poor thing he just jumped out of bed yeah. and uh, you know he dragged me in his house and um uh, his partner was there and uh, her little girl was there actually she was only um Eleven, I think at the time, maybe a bit younger, and that for me that was um i I didn't like that. I felt really bad that she that little girl was there um you know, and she had to to sort of now get dragged into this situation I mean, you know, um the neighbor grabbed my phone and he called the police straight away, and he sort of dealt with everything um pretty much from there on um you know he he dealt with the operator and, and all that kind of stuff um while I was inside I mean the police arrived, the ambulances arrived um and uh you know they did what they needed to do um i answered all the the questions for the police um i directed them pretty much to where he was going to be uh because I, you know there was no uh, there was no way he was going to go anywhere else but home um so I, you know i, I gave them, I, I basically told them where to go um uh, obviously they, they found him and they'd taken him into hospital um i didn't find out that he was in hospital till probably the next day i think Um, and I still didn't know. I found out that out through the press. Um, I wasn't actually told that by the police, Um, and all I knew is that he was taken to um, hospital with gunshot wounds, which I assumed, because obviously they'd sent the armed police um, to him, because if someone's got a gun, they're not going to send regular police, are they? Um, I assumed that he'd probably either refused to stand down or whatever, um, and they'd had to shoot him um, to you know, to, to be able to get to him and to, to make it a safe situation. Um, obviously no, you know, I learned afterwards that that he shot himself, but, um, yeah, we, we learned that through the press, which was quite, um, not a very fun situation. You know, you'd expect as, as the family, you'd be told directly by the police before it was released to the press. Um, you know, that, that was just an unfortunate situation though, really. Um, and you know, it, it, it wasn't particularly pleasant. Um because it, you know, for us it was a lot of questions. I mean, for everyone I live in a very small town. Um, you know, everyone knows everyone. Um there is very little crime here. It's a very nice area to live in. Um and to have something as particularly as severe as a murder to happen here is just unheard of I don't think there's been anyone murdered here you know at least in the last hundred years probably um you know it's just it's just unheard of around here so um it really was a big shock to the town and everyone you know was interested in being a small town um quite gossipy you know how small towns work Um, and you know, everyone knows everyone, the word gets around very quickly. So before they'd even, well, they couldn't release who'd done it. Um, and they couldn't, they couldn't release my mum's name at first because, um, her body hadn't been formally identified. Um, so we had to wait a few days, um, and she'd been taken to Coventry because, um, I, I think it's because it, well, it's the biggest, um, I think it's where all the, all the the murder victims, I think, tend to go to Coventry because it's the biggest, um, I can't remember the exact word for it, but um, they do all the sort of um, like post mortems and all, all that kind of thing there. Um, and they're the biggest centre, I, I guess, for it. Um, so we had to travel to Coventry to do that. I chose to go, um, so this was our, my mum was killed Friday night and we went Monday, I chose to go um, because I wasn't sure how I felt about the whole situation, so I said, you know what, I'll go, um, but I don't know if I'm going to go in yet, and the police thought, like, yeah, that's fine, um, so I went along. My granddad, bless him, he did the formal identification, um, which would have been horrific. I mean, fortunately for us, my mum wasn't shot in the face.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, you know, that that was the biggest blessing for all of us, yeah. um, is that, you know, at least he wasn't callous enough to do that. Um, you know, so that that was that was a, re- a relief for all of us, really. Um, but yeah, my granddad went, my uncle was there as well, and my nan was there. And they all went in, but I chose at that time, I didn't want to go in. <laughs> I said, do you know what? I was with her in the last moments. I don't need to I don't feel it's my I don't need to go in. Um, you know, so I, I didn't and I was <laughs> I was quite scared to be honest. You know, de- death's a very odd thing, I think. You know, even when we had dogs, dogs die and, and, and pets die. I was like, I didn't want to go near them. I was quite wary of them, um, you know. And uh, I'm, I'm a bit of a funny one, really, in those kinds of situations. Um, so I just thought, you know, what? I don't need to. I don't need to go in. It's not. It's not for me, really. This isn't for me. I was there when it happened. Like, you know, I don't need to be there. So um, <laughs> poor police drove me all the way to Coventry. driving back again for no reason, and um, you know it's quite a long way from from where I live as well. Um, so yeah, and, and I I'd been in school that morning. Everyone thought I was mad. My mum was killed on the Friday night, and I was in school Monday morning. Um, I wanted to go in. I wanted to go in like normal, and the police were like, "No, you can't go in like normal." Um, and I don't think I'd quite realised um, what a big you know such a big thing had happened um you know in my life at this point and um you know I I did go in because I wanted to make sure my friends were okay and everyone thinks that's mad because they're like why are you checking on your friends your friends are the ones who should be checking on you and uh, you know they were I'd had hundreds of messages over the weekend because um you know like I said my mum's name hadn't been released but the pictures were all over the newspaper people knew my mum's car people knew the house um you know people put two and two together. People aren't on daft, you know, people put two and two together. Um, so, uh, you know, they they figured out what happened. They didn't know who had done it. Well, a lot of people didn't know who had done it, although word got around very quickly who had done it. Um, even though his name wasn't actually released until that December, um, everyone really knew what happened. So, um, yeah, so I went back in school and I, I, had, I had a meeting with my friends. And, um, you know, I, I was... I was very fortunate to have that. I really wanted to go and see my friends. Um, fortunately they were all okay. They were just confused, you know, like a lot of people were, no one really saw it coming. Um, they were all just very confused and they were like, so what's actually happened here? Um, and you know, I was able to fill them in, which was great because the news, um, the press being the press, there was a lot of untrue things being said. And, um, contradictory things being said so people were obviously trying to work out what's true what's not what's really going on here um so you know they I was sort of able to put the record straight a little bit um and you know have a that little bit of normality go back to school go see my friends um I'd been I was being escorted by police everywhere you know it was, it was not normal not a normal weekend in my life um you know and it was a very big adjustment um I ended up I, I stayed at a friend's I, well, I, I sort of moved around for for a, for a short period of time, and I ended up staying uh, living with one of my friends for a few months um, because I I don't particularly know why I think it was probably guilt um, at that period of time that I hadn't done more, um, but I didn't want to see my nan and granddad. Um, they found it hard seeing me because I'm so like my mum, and obviously it was difficult for them. But and I didn't want to see them because I didn't want to upset them, and you know I felt guilty that I hadn't done more. Um, you know, I mean, I, I'm over that now, but that period of time, you know, that point in time, um, it was a big thing to adjust to. So I, we stayed away from each other for, for a while, um, I live here now. Uh, I mean, they're downstairs, bless them. Every time I ever meet them, I'm like, can you not come upstairs? I'm busy. But okay. Um, so, uh, you know, bless them. They're absolutely amazing. I love them to bits. And I'm so grateful to have them because I don't I don't really have that many. Uh, I don't have that much family. Uh, I, I haven't seen my dad for for five years now. Um, you know, even after my mum died. I mean, it's been three years now since so my mum died. My dad still hasn't really been that much of a big, per, you know, sort of big figure in my life. Um, and he still hasn't really come back into my life. Uh, it hasn't spurred him on to um, particularly want much to do with me, which is fine by me. Um, I'm better off, better off without that, to be honest. Um, you know, and I, I'm happier. I'm happy to just be, to be like I am. Um, but yeah, you know, it took a long period of time for, um us to get him into court um because um obviously his injuries i mean his injuries even now he can't speak he can't um because he's got no you know he's, he's missing a, a large portion of his face he can't speak eat um he can't i don't know if he can walk very well i mean obviously i i i haven't kept up with him for a while um but uh he, he couldn't walk the last time i uh, i saw him um, you know, he literally has to type out on a keyboard um everything he wants to say. And uh, you know, he's he's in a he's he's very much um he's very uh how do I put it? He's not in a very nice situation. Um let's say that, you know, he's he's um highly disabled now. Um yeah. you know, it's it's not a pleasant um situation for him to be in. Um certainly not. Um So, yeah, we got him to court uh, as of, gosh, 2019. So, yeah, it was 18 months um, after my mum was killed until we were able to get him in, which is is quite a significant period of time. It doesn't sound very much, but um, when you're waiting on things and waiting on him to get better, it really is quite um, a significant period of time. Um, to cover uh, so we, we got into got into court and um, you know it took three weeks I think trial was um, I was the first witness I was offered screens um, and, and all sorts of things but I, I refused I wanted to go in open court so um, I was 15 so I went in open court uh, first witness of the whole trial second day of the trial uh, and I was still upset I couldn't go in on the first day and I was like they were like you've got like three weeks to go yet. Yeah? and I was like yeah but I wanted to come in on the first day um but obviously I couldn't because I hadn't given my evidence at that point um so yeah I went in gave my evidence um I think I was only in the box about 20 minutes um didn't take long um I was treated so well by the judge and both barristers um you know they, they were very kind to me um and you know it was good but i i was uh it was very nice it was very good it was a good feeling to be able to share um my point of view um and my evidence because you know I was the only i was the i was the key witness in the case mm-hmm. um so you know it was it was great to be alive actually you know because the police had said to me if I hadn't got out the car, there's a chance that I probably would have been hurt too um you know I probably would have been shot too um yeah. Not, not purposely by him. I mean, it might have been purposely by him. You never know. But I'm just lucky I got out of the car. So it was good to be alive in that moment and to um, to know that what I was saying was going to have a, you know, a big effect on the jury. Um, and that that was hopefully going to get him put away. Um, I mean, it did. Um, he ended up getting 31 years. He found guilty murder um, with 31 years minimum. Um, before eligible for parole. I mean he was in his he's in his forties now anyway, so in thirty thirty years time he's gonna be in his seventies so and with his injuries the likelihood of him coming out um it's it's quite low. Um so I've gotta say I was not expecting thirty one years. I've heard so many horror stories of the you know the judicial system um failing so many people and you know perpetrators only getting five, ten, fifteen years. I mean look at um Anthony Williams, the, the the man who's just been, um, he, he killed his wife in lockdown, the first lockdown and, uh, you know, he's only just gone through court and he only got five years mm. for strangling his wife and killing her. You know, that was, that was my worst fear was that I was going to have to walk the same streets that he was, yeah. um because I was scared that he was going to come back and finish me off. You know, I lived that for a long time and I was scared that even though he was in hospital or even though he was behind bars, he was still able to get to me, um, whether, you know, just through other people. Um, I, I mean, I've got over that fear now, but that really did consume me for quite a large period of time. Um, and it was a very scary situation to be in because n- nothing that anyone said made me feel any better. The police, even the police it never made me feel any better. But, you know, and most nights I was at the window watching. I, I, you know, I was ill for quite a long period of time because I had no sleep. I couldn't focus at school. Uh, you know, I was I was in a mess, really. I mean, I lost, after my mum died, I lost uh, a stone in, two stones, sorry, in less than a month. I I went very skinny. Um, you know, I lost a, a hell of a lot of weight and I looked really ill. Um, you know, and it really took its toll on me. I mean, in my mind, I was still quite um, you know, into other people, I was still quite bubbly. People would just say, I don't know how you're doing it. I mean, I went straight back to school. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to school full time, um, well, near enough full time. They they modified my timetable slightly so that I could come in um a little bit later because I wouldn't go to sleep till sunrise because I'd be waiting I'd be at the window all night watching watching to see if anyone came um to the house because I wanted to be prepared I was like if he's if he's going to come this time I'm going to be prepared for him um, so you know I was I I was in a um, a sorry state really but um you know I was still carrying on with normal life and I I was I was still I got back on my feet very quickly and, you know, everyone was quite surprised at that I mean, I organized my mum's funeral myself. That was my choice. Um, when and Andy Crandon said that they would do it and I said, no, it's, you know, it you expect to bury your parents you don't expect to bury your children as, as a child as that person's child it's your responsibility to sort the funeral out it shouldn't be the parents responsibility because that's that's not something they ever expect to do so um you know i did it myself and um we had a good day actually which sounds mental when, when you say it but um uh you know there was th- over 300 people there. Uh, it was in the it was in the half term as well, the February half term, and a lot of people had gone away on holiday because they'd all been pre booked, and they'd said, uh, oh, you know, we're really sorry, we actually can't come. You know, we've booked this holiday, we can't cancel it." Um, so, you know, there was there was a few key people missing, which was unfortunate, but um, you know, it was it was great to have such turnout. I mean, they had to put speakers outside the church last minute um, because they couldn't get any more people in. Um, and they, obviously, people wanted to hear the service. Yeah, I put together um, a band because my mum was a church goer. Um, I, I've been to church since I was little um, with my mum, and you know, uh, I got a, a group of um, people out of the church community who, you know, I think you know one of them was a, was a youth leader, and the one was the. Uh, um, she ran the choir, uh, someone else, um, my godmother played the violin, I think. Um, it, there was, there was a, a, a few people and I myself played the guitar. So we, we put a little band together. Um, so, you know, we all played a few songs together. And, and that was a real privilege to be able to do that um, because that's exactly what my mum would, want it, would have wanted. I got everyone pretty much dancing in the church. I was like, come on, guys, you know, this is, it's not about, you know, Crying over the fact that she's gone. We've got to celebrate what she loved while she was here. Um, so you know, I tried to make that a good day, not a not a sad day. Um, and it was really lovely. My, you know, my mum. I live in Newport, not not South Wales, Newport, uh, Shropshire. Um, and you know, my mum was she didn't, she moved here when she was four she was pretty much born and bred here never left um so you know she was a Newport girl through and through so um you know we had a we, we got to have a procession through the town um which was lovely um you know it was just a really it was just a really good day really good sun so off. it was sun was shining it was brilliant even my dog came it was brilliant <laughs> it was yeah. just one of those days it was good and you know it, it allowed me to reconnect with people who I hadn't managed to speak to for a long period of time or people I'd never even met um you know but my mum's death really did send shockwaves um through the town certainly um all the churches were open with uh condolence books and you know, just a place that people could go to if they felt affected um you know so it was it was just it was amazing to see the town come together really um you know and most people when someone dies um it's very common to hear people say oh they were such a good person they did this that. and you know they were they were amazing uh, you know and it's it's quite a generic thing to hear but i not a single person said a bad word about my mum nobody there was no nobody you know even people people i'd never met people who she'd known from going to school when she was a child yeah. you know not a single person had ever said a bad word about my mum. I've never I don't think I've ever heard anyone say a bad word about my mum, ever, even before she passed away. Um, you know, so it was it was really it was really heartwarming to see, you know, just what an impact that my mum had had on people and you know how much people did love and appreciate her. Um, you know, when it was at the funeral we had um I chose to have a donations plate because, you know, my mum was a very charitable person. We sponsored a Little Girl in Africa um in Kenya. And uh we send twenty five pounds a month um to and we pay for her to go to school um and you know, pay for her books and, and clothes and all sorts of different things like that. Because obviously twenty-five pounds a month converted into to Kenyan money is is quite significant. Yeah. Um, but we had a donations plate and we managed to raise over fifteen hundred pounds um, just that day. So that was that was massive. And um I decided to gift all of that money to um to the family over in Kenya um you know not just to the little girl because they had several children and uh, you know our 25 pound a month would just go to um, the little girl to so that that one child um but i wanted to give it to the whole family and um you know since then i I've, i only found out literally about probably a month ago um where they are now but i i found out that they were able to um build they were able to build two properties um, that they could rent out to other families and they will, uh, you know, there's some, all their children can go to school. It will continue to allow their children to go into higher education. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, they're now some of the wealth, they're, they're one of the wealthiest families in their village. Right. Um, you know, and I got, I, I got some pictures sent to me actually of um, of the the properties they built. And it was just, it was lovely to see. Yeah. It really was. It was amazing to see because, you know, that's people dipping into their pockets because they knew and loved my mum. And now we've been able to change someone else's life. And that's all I've wanted since my mum died. That's all I've said. All I want is to be able to change someone's life with her story and with her, you know, with her legacy. And, you know, we've already changed that family's life. And this is why I do so much domestic abuse campaign and, and so much work, because I know I've got a valuable story that can be shared, that can help other people. And, you know, I don't, I won't stop until until something's changed until there is a big change that we don't have you know not just women but and obviously obviously men as well but um it's predominantly women until we don't have so many women dying you know it's it's now it's it's my life goal really now I've just happened to to land myself in this situation And, you know there's a reason I didn't there's a reason I got out of that car and there's a reason that he didn't turn around and shoot me anyway yeah. and uh you know I'm very, I'm very fortunate, very privileged to still be alive. And, uh, you know, I want to, I want to carry on and doing, doing good and and using my story to help others. Yeah. So, yeah. (laughs) I'm where i waffled for quite a long period of time. So apologies.
0: (laughs) Oh, Georgia, that you, 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 you've blown me away. Um, (laughs) There's 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 not there's not a lot to it. Normally I I pick out and I as I go through, but you you, you've answered everything, all the questions that came in. You've answered as you've gone along, and you know what I would say is so. What what form is this going to take now? Because you're on a mission now for the rest of your life. I can see that. Yeah, I I understand that. I I you know I really do relate to that. Um, What where do you where what do you want to do with it now? You know, where do you want to go with this?
1: Crikey. Um, (sighs) Anywhere I can go, anywhere and everywhere. Um, You know, hopefully just keep getting bigger and you know um you know i'm very fortunate to work with some amazing people i mean i work with jody um who obviously obviously you know me uh, through um i've worked with um, rachel williams who uh, i'm not sure if you know who she is she was also shot by her husband but she managed to survive um right. I, she's a massive campaigner um she's written a book she does loads of stuff and uh, she's actually the reason i got into this i read her book and accidentally um like i accidentally found her book read it um, and ended up getting in touch with her and, and staying in touch with her. And then she invited me um, to come and speak at her conference in 20, 2019. Um, so that was the first event I ever did. And, um, and then I just got roped into everything. But, <laughs> yeah. so, uh, you know, I'm a pioneer for safe lives. Um you no know, I, I work with um, Laura Richards as well, who you may have heard of. She's a criminal behavioural analyst. She used to work for New Scotland Yard. She now lives in America. Um, yeah. She's very big. She does the... Um, a uh, real crime profile podcast and she's got her own podcast now the crime analyst you know oh, she just yeah. loads of stuff and she she's been the biggest factor in um, us getting the serial perpetrator um, amendment put through parliament in the last two weeks i mean um, that's a bit i missed out actually my yeah, my, dad, my stepdad had a previous conviction um, against his his ex-wife um you know he'd um he'd attempted to to kill her and um he got away with it um he he got a four year suspended sentence um and a certain amount of hours of um community service for that so um you know, and my mum was aware of that. But obviously he, play, he you know, he, told, he manipulated her and told her a completely different story. I mean, he told us his, you know, uh, has, it's quite common actually, but, you know, he told us his his ex-wife was, you know, a psychopath and all these different things. Yeah. When you know, I know her now and she's, you know, she's lovely. And she just yeah. went through exactly the same as what my mum went through. You know, and it's, it, unfortunately, it's such, you know, it really, in that period of time, my mum had, didn't know what, she didn't know any better, um, you know, and she was so manipulated by him anyway, um, you know, she, well, she couldn't do anything about it anyway. And um, I think that was probably also one of the reasons she was scared to leave because she knew that he was capable of doing that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, going back to that recording as well, um, that recording that I got my friend to do of that conversation yeah. was the only recording we have of his voice in court. So because he can't speak anymore, when he was in court, he gave his evidence through typing on a keyboard and someone else read it out for him. Um, So that video clip that I had was the only piece of evidence in the whole case that they had of his voice. Um, So that was a massive factor for the... That was a massive thing for the jury to be able to hear what he actually sounded like and the emphasis. Because when someone else is reading out a piece of paper, you don't quite know how it's... No you know, how, what the tone is. Um, so, you know, that that was, the police commended me highly on that. They were like, it's a good job you recorded that. I was like, thanks. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I was quite, um, I was quite pleased that I'd had the initiative to do that. Um, so, yeah, but it's just a crazy journey. I'm just, you know, like I said, we've just had the serial perpetrator amendment go through, which yeah. means a hell of a lot to me. Um, yeah. If he had been yeah. dealt with... Government. Yeah, this is through the government. Sorry. Yeah, the, the um, House of Lords have just voted it through, so it's now um, it's now gone through. So we've now got to work on um, what we're going to do. I mean, I've been saying for so long we've got, uh, we've got a got sex offenders register. So why don't we have a, a d- domestic abuse offenders register? It's a no-brainer. You wouldn't let you wouldn't let a sex offender live with a child or work with children or whatever. So why would you let an abuser? D- live with you know move in with children and abuse whoever they want is you know it's exactly the same principle really yeah. um so you know in it, it really does mean such a lot because um you know like people like Jane Clough like all these different people who've been murdered they, all their perpetrators had, um, you know, had previous offences yeah. um, and they, or they were previously known about. And even if they weren't previously known about, there were other victims that then came forward and said, well, actually, this person abused me too. Um, you know, and it's such it's such a big step forward. I mean, this has been something that, um, you know, Laura Richards in particular, she's been fighting for this for, tw- you know, 20 years. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've only come into this in the last 12 months and, you know, I've we've all put in so much effort. I mean, thanks, thanks to Laura Richards. She's the one who got this through. Um, it's down to her expertise and, you know, her, her fighting that it went through, but there are so many people who've been involved and it really is a massive win because it means that this, for this register will save lives. If, if we're able to execute it correctly um, and execute it in the way that we want it to be done, um, you know, it will save lives, hundreds of lives oh. without a shadow of a doubt. Oh. And, you know, obviously we have Claire's law, um, yeah. But not a lot of people know about Claire's Law. I didn't know about Claire's Law till after my mum was killed. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people don't know about it, and but the problem is with Claire's Law, you have to phone the police up and say, "Can you tell me about so and so?" And if that person is coming across as being really charming, you'll probably go, "Oh, there's no way that they'll have they'll have yeah. been someone before." I don't I don't feel the need to, or they don't know what Claire's Law is in the first place to do it. Um, you know so it's it's you know it's it's great and it's a great tool to be able to have but we need that next step now you know and we've got that next step and we've just got to keep pushing and make sure that's executed but yeah I mean it answer your question I, every, anywhere and everywhere really that's where that's where I want to go
0: but what a wonderful legacy for your mum
1: oh uh, yeah I'm so glad I can do that for her yeah I really am what a
0: wonderful legacy and it's any 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 bad in life, if you know the good that comes out of it, you know it it, it, it doesn't make up for it, but it, no. it it just it just validates it a bit, doesn't it? You know.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. It makes it worth it almost you know it happened and but you know my mum it, for me you know I, I said to my friends actually and I, I don't really get emotional I'm not I'm not that kind of person I don't get upset about it very often because I've just kind of accepted it and, and gone on with life and I know my mum wouldn't want me to to get upset about it and um, but I said to my friends in the day when when the um, the amendment went through I said now guys it really does you know my mum really hasn't died for nothing now you know and it really it was a, it was a very emotional moment um and it was such a privilege to have that go through because I really feel now as if I've been involved in something big and I have I've I've, set, I've achieved well p- part of what I set out to achieve when I started this whole thing anyway yeah. so it really does mean a lot but my mum taught me you know she always taught me to look for the positive in everything if I was moaning about (laughs) if I was moaning about something she'd go well yeah but other people you know obviously she should validate my my emotions she wouldn't shut me down but you know she'd say well there's other people worse off in the world you know there's people who don't even have a roof over their head there's people who can't go to school there's people who you know are are in horrific situations so just be grateful for what you have Um, and there's something my mum used to say say quite a lot and you know she, she wasn't a, heart, a glass half full kind of person. She wasn't a glass half empty kind of person. She was just grateful to have a glass in the first place. Yeah. And, you know, that's something I live by now. And, yeah. you know, just because I've had such a horrific experience since I was young, I've also been given a gift to be able to to help people. And, you know, that to me is it's a, it's a privilege, really, to be able to be in a situation where I can help so many people, um, you know, and i really do, i I try not to take it for granted, and uh you know i I just sort of live in that in that moment of going, well actually, do you know what? I've come out the other side, and it's doable um you know i it's it's a privilege again to also be able to talk to some of the people who may have only just come out of that situation or may just be in the process of about you know just about to leave, and you know those people might have absolutely no hope, but if I can if they can look at my life and see how well I'm doing and how much I've come out of the side, I've seen, you know, that it's given hope to so many, so many people who I've spoken to, and you know, a lot of the time, you don't you think that there is no life after you've been abused, because you've been so conditioned that that person is your only life, you know, and that if you leave, you know, then they're going to leave you alone, or you know, you're never going to get away from it. But you can, and you can build an amazing life after being abused. Um, yeah. And but I think sometimes people just need a little bit of evidence of that. And if I can just be that little bit of evidence and give someone that little bit of hope and yeah. put a smile on their face, you know, then. Then that that's a massive win for me.
0: It it, you've left me breathless. You're not emotional, but you've had me so emotional. (laughs) It's like however long it's. But I like I've had to really hold back the tears on this. You you know, you you are inspiring, and this is your purpose now. This is purpose. It's giving you know and the, the drive, and and I keep going back to that young girl and. You know the the, the level headedness you showed all the way through this. It, it shows incredible character, and your mum will be so proud of you. She will she will absolutely be so proud of you. Thank and, you uh, very what we'll do, we'll 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 add all the links to this uh, of everything you're fighting for. We'll do all of that, and um, please, you know, this isn't you know we're going to say goodbye now, but keep in touch. I'll, yeah. any way that I can help, I will. You know, not just this. You know, it, it it's ongoing. It's personal to me. I've had family members and and this stuff, and you know, it really is a, a, a you know really important to me. And, and I admire you so much. Thank you. So Georgia, thank you for giving yourself over to that. And you know, uh, I really, really wish you the best for the future.
1: Thank you very much. It's a privilege to be on here. When, uh, when Jodie messaged me saying that you wanted me on here, I was like, oh, that's amazing, that is. So, uh, no, it really is a privilege to come on here. Thank you. And then you, you do amazing work yourself. So, you know, it, it's amazing to, to sort of, um, you know, for you, to be able to use your platform and, and for you to have me on here. So, yeah, thank you very much.
0: No, it's an absolute privilege. Thank you very much. Mwah. Welcome. It's <laughs> <laughs> just over five years ago. I did something that changed my life. What it did, more than I could have ever realised, it helped me. I have met some absolutely amazing people, some of the people that work in some of these places. Many of them are volunteers, but some of them, it is their job. This is more than a job, this is a calling.